All right, what is up, team? Welcome back to the show. It is Coach Andrea and I here together once again. Um, I know I actually didn't talk about this, but we're going to start doing these Q&A episodes together a little bit more frequently. So uh, I'm excited for that. I know last week we kind of gave updates as far as what's been going on with life, what's been going on with training, et cetera. So let's just go ahead and get right into the Q&A. You good with that? Yep, let's do it. Perfect. All right, so... First one I have for you is how to deal with emotional eating issues. Yeah, that one is tough. And I feel like so many people deal with that as well. Um, That's actually something that we've been talking quite a bit about on the mentorship calls too. Um, So with emotional eating, it really depends to, in my opinion, it, it depends on the personality of the client. So For some people, um, something as simple as journaling um, around the time that they usually want to snack is super helpful because it's connected to some sort of discomfort. So it's always, it's always connected to some sort of discomfort. So they're, the emotional eating is they're, they're feeling some sort of emotion that they don't want to feel. And so they eat because that gives them a hit of dopamine and makes you feel pretty good for a few minutes. So it's not that I like to not this um, adaptive thing or anything else. Like it actually is serving a purpose and it's doing what it's supposed to and making you feel good in that moment. But it's not serving most of the time, not serving your health because you're probably not emotionally eating on something that is bettering your health or your goals. Um, but it, it does serve that purpose. So looking for something to replace that rather than just trying to avoid it is usually more helpful. So instead of just saying, I'm going to quit emotionally eating, um, looking for a replacement in something like journaling or going for a walk or um, drinking some water or setting a timer, something, those things, or like a combination of those things is pretty helpful. So what I will do is usually have the client send me back an if-then statement. So if I feel like emotionally eating, then I will X. And I'll have them fill in that blank. So I will write out three things I'm grateful for and walk for five minutes. Or I'll drink 20 ounces of water and then do a brain dump journal or something similar to that. And a lot of times that's helpful. Um, It just really depends on, like I said, the personality of the client and how um, deep-rooted, I guess, this this issue is for them and what kind of things are going on that's causing it. What do you do for this? Absolutely. And of course we're very similar how we manage this where the if then statements are a huge piece of how like clients that we are working or through this with, that's a huge piece of it where very much it is first identifying what is the emotion that typically triggers this, right? Is it when I'm sad? Is it when I'm angry? Is it et cetera? Right. So then basically like if we look at, like from an anatomic habits perspective, right? If you look at the habit loop, okay, so basically what we have going on right now is this feeling triggers this action, right? So we're basically looking to disrupt that. So again, then we're establishing, okay, first, what's the emotion you typically feel that leads to this? Can you like identify what that is? Okay, so let's create kind of this new habit to disrupt that old pattern where, okay, if I feel sad, first I am going to, as you said, like maybe it's I'm going to journal. Maybe it's, I'm going to go for a five-minute walk. For some clients, it's literally, I'm going to drink a glass of water, or I'm just going to set a five-minute timer, and that's it, right? But again, it's kind of just 
bring it into your awareness, how you're feeling. Uh, and again, understanding that kind of your pattern right now is to, okay, and I'm going to try to fix this by eating. Now, people don't typically think that deeply into it. And again, this is kind of a generalization. So keep in mind, like sometimes there are probably times where someone's emotional eating issues are outside of our scope of practice. And that's the case where we'll refer out. So I don't want like everyone to just take this as like, no matter what, this is how we should deal with it. But generally like the things that are within our scope of practice, this is typically how we're going to approach it. Um, now from there, I also think it's very helpful to actually just examine your hunger and kind of get people more curious about their hunger, right? So literally just think like when your brain tells you, you need, cause a lot of times it'll be like, you'll experience like, okay, I experienced this emotion. And then my brain is telling me I'm very hungry or I'm like having these cravings and I need this food, right? So it's very helpful to think, okay, what does that hunger actually feel like in my belly? Can I actually feel the sensation of hunger? And a lot of times you'll realize like, oh man, I actually can't. Like I know for me, a lot of times it's just, if I'm like sitting and working for a long period of time, I'll get the urge to go eat something, right? Now that's somewhat different, but I think that like you can kind of connect the two where it's really like, man, this is kind of just like my form of procrastination where am I really hungry? No, I'm not. I don't really feel exactly like procrastinate, procrastinate eating. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't really feel it in my belly at all. But again, it's kind of like a distraction or I really like the way you frame that where it does have a purpose, right? It's serving the purpose that your body is intending it to. So again, I think more than anything, if we can just create more awareness around that with emotional eating, really just examining your hunger, and those if-then statements are the two things that I found most helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Cool. What do you got for me next? Okay. So Jody asked, I believe both of us, um, what is, oh no, uh, what do you think about monkey feet or home gym? Which we both are we like talking about home gym stuff. <laughs> yeah. So for the listeners that don't know, monkey feet are basically like little straps where you can attach dumbbells to your feet and you can basically mimic like to an extent you can mimic like a leg curl or a leg extension um i think they're a pretty good idea i would say like of course most optimally i think like the, the biggest application for them is basically just going to be mimicking leg curls and leg extensions but i mean i think in a lot of cases like if we can combine like a line leg curl if we have like monkey feet and a band, like you could probably make a pretty solid leg curl setup where like from home, probably like one of the best options that we'd have for a leg curl, if you don't actually have a leg curl machine would be like, we're lying on a decline bench face down, we're holding a dumbbell between our feet and then we have a band attached around our legs. Now, if you actually have to squeeze that dumbbell between your feet to hold it, it's much harder. So I think the monkey feet would like have great application there. Again, we could kind of do a leg extension with this as well. And that's something else that's pretty hard to set up without just having a leg extension. So I do think, I'm not sure how much they cost. Do you have any idea? I don't. Okay. I'm not sure what the cost is, but I mean, I think if that's something that's relatively inexpensive and you want to be able to work like more knee flexion, more extension. So basically replicate those leg curl and leg extension patterns a bit more it's probably worth it. I think if they're like a couple hundred bucks, it would honestly probably be a better option to just get like a plate load and like curling extension like we have. Um, but if they're a cheap investment or you don't have the space in your garage for that, I think they're a pretty solid option. That said, again, I think like the application is relatively limited. You'll probably get the most out of it just being hit by being able to like do a slightly better leg curl. 
Yeah, I agree. So like you said, their main thing is going to be extensions, like curls, maybe like hanging knee raises. Um, well, I'm going to say something I think you'll disagree with. Okay. <laughs> so these are completely different movements. So it's not like a different thing for the same movement. But to me, if I'm looking for something relatively cheap to, to expand the home gym, I would just squeeze a dumbbell between my feet to do those movements. And I would instead get a pulley for over the, the pull-up bar. Um, it's a mm. lot cheaper than a cable. So it's not, I know it's not like as good as a cable, but that step in between having like just the, just the pull-up bar and being able to get that cable machine, we had a pulley and that was so great because I could sit and do pull downs, face pulls. You can do one-sided, um, like chest press or flies or uh, horizontal rows, things like that. So if she just wants one thing that is pretty cheap, like under a hundred dollars to be able to expand the home gym, I, I like that better. Yeah, I agree actually, because that would, the leg, I mean, you could even do like a standing, you could do a single, yeah, you could, you could rig up a leg extension with that. Honestly, that would be, a, that's a good insight because that would be a better option, I think in most cases. And I know the one that I got, I think it was like 35 bucks, the pulley system that I got. Is that about what yours was? Uh, it was it was maybe like 60. I looked more recently and they had gone up a little bit, but it, it's it's a pulley, but it comes with like six different attachments too. So okay. there might be cheaper options without all the attachments. Okay. Yeah, I got one without all the attachments and it was just like 30 bucks. So yeah, but basically you can just get a plate loaded pulley set up like that that you can put over a pull-up bar. And there, I mean, you have so much more versatility as well. You can do lat pull-downs, you can do cable rows. There's all kinds of things you can rig up there. Because I know she has a squat rack as well, so she could definitely rig up a lot. I think that would be much more versatile. And you would be, you get a better resistance from that versus just like having a dumbbell on your foot with the monkey feet. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I like that a lot. All right. Next one I have is when aiming to lose fat and gain muscle, how often do you recommend cheat meals? I, so I will phrase that as untracked meals. Mm. To me, that just has a different connotation than a cheat meal because a mm. cheat meal sounds more like go find whatever like the worst food is for you and right. <laughs> work on it so you don't have it again for the next week. Um, just because I think that that's what happened a lot in like the nineties. Um, so I will recommend untracked meals for a lot of clients, especially clients who are uh, either working their way back toward maintenance or at maintenance or building. Um, not as much during a fat loss phase, uh, but I do that quite a bit with, especially with any clients who, um, have, have almost like a mental block of adding things in that have been right. for a long time. I feel like we talked about this maybe a couple of times ago, um, on, on the Q and a, but yeah, I recommend them quite a bit in those situations. Yeah. And I think the, the distinction between a cheat meal and a free meal, I think, or like an untracked meal, I don't know if she, I don't know if free meal is actually that much better, but within that, like just an untracked meal, um, that is something both of us use quite a bit. Um, sometimes in a reverse diet scenario, definitely if someone's at maintenance or building, I do very much like to use that. Now, if your goal, so for her, like her goal is fat loss. 
do you ever use a free meal or an untracked meal in a fat, or do you, is it something you use frequently in a fat loss scenario? Very rarely. So anytime I'm recommending an untracked meal, it's <clears throat> I'll, I'll put it in there like once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't see the need to add that in once a week with a fat loss phase. A lot of times there's going to be events that come up often enough where in that specific situation, I'll recommend just for that time, um, take right. a contract meal here. And, uh, and even like for all of these phases, I'll always say take an untracked meal, but keep in mind your digestion and something that's not going to make you feel awful afterwards. So there's that caveat. But um, within the context of fat loss, it's like, hey, I have my friend's wedding coming up. Should I, or like vacation or something like that. Right. Should I try and track the macros and fit that in. And I will usually just say, let's take an untracked meal for that specific event and then just get right back to it. So that ends up being like maybe once a month or something like that, whereas I won't have it. Uh, every single week with somebody in fat loss for the most part a fat loss phase is pretty short like in the grand scheme of things so for a regular basis I would prefer for people to just work things into their macros and maybe cut back on the amount that you're having for that shorter period of time and remember that you will get back to maintenance at some point soon and then that's when you would be able to ease more easily work in a free meal yeah, I think we both kind of see this from the same perspective where a lot of people try to, Jordan Lips did a good job of saying like your your calorie deficit shouldn't be your best life. I think, I don't want to like put words in his mouth, but I'm pretty sure that's more or less how he phrased it where like a lot of people try to get so like, hey, I need like this many free meals per week. Maybe we're going to do like two to three refeed days per week where it's like basically you're just making the deficit so long that you're in a deficit for like nine months to a year before you'll actually get to where you want to be. Right. And no matter what, it's still going to suck. You're still not going to have as much dietary flexibility as you want. So really, I think for most people, we're better off just not trying to get too cute with it. Just, Hey, can we get this done away from three to four months instead of eight to nine? And then again, like once you're back to maintenance, then you have so much more flexibility. We don't have to track quite as accurately. We can work in more things like free meals. You can enjoy like more food as a whole. But again, I think we come both come from the perspective that typically it's smarter to just buckle down a bit more and get that done with. But I'm very much like, I would say like about once a month is probably pretty typical as well, where for a lot of clients, that's when something like a wedding will come up. But also I think it's easy to um, rationalize a little bit too frequently. Like if that's coming up like twice a week and we're having these very, very large on track meals, a lot of times that can throw things off. So like for clients that do need things like that a little bit more frequently, then I'll still establish some parameters around it. So, hey, maybe it's, okay, we're going to take one free meal, but before that, like the rest of the day, here's kind of the macros we want to hit. And then maybe going into that, we're going to have you fill up, like going into that meal like an hour before. Maybe you're going to like drink a protein shake and have two servings of fruit, or you're going to have a big-ass salad with chicken on it, right? Like we're trying to get you somewhat full before you go into that meal so that you're a lot less likely to overdo it. Or maybe within that meal, like within that free meal, we're going to, okay, so I want you to eat a big ass serving of protein on your plate. And I want you to get at least one serving of veggies within this. You're going to eat those first. Then from there, like move on to whatever you want, but let's eat the protein and the veggies first, right? And automatically that's going to be a lot of food volume. That's going to fill you up a good amount. So we're just less likely to overdo it as much. And maybe again, we're going to try to like, just be aware of our hunger and we're going to stop at the point where we're full versus overstuffed. So again, like a lot of times now, 
that's more specific to again like giving that at fat loss where the reality is a lot of times in like a building phase especially i'll say yeah just enjoy yourself don't worry about it just get right back on point and by the time we've gone through this process like it's not going to stick to you quote unquote or anything of that nature just enjoy yourself and we'll get back to it but really in a fat loss phase i'd say it's i don't think it's something that either of us do extremely frequently no 90 percent of the time it's going to be more like you were talking about with ways to more easily fit it in your macros or at least if it's not going to be able to be perfectly tracked then um ways to like reduce earlier in the day and stuff like that but yeah it's that smaller amount of time especially because like in a fat loss phase you're hungry and your eyes are bigger than your stomach and you're gonna end up <laughs> eating a lot more than you would of that same meal at maintenance anyway right oh absolutely um i believe you have one more right yeah so with training an upper lower split is it okay to have one of those lower body days as quads and one of those lower body days as glutes and hamstrings or should you be training the entire lower body both days yeah there's nothing wrong with that um there is a lot of pushback or in the past there was a lot of people saying that like frequency is going to be one of the most important variables here or more and more it seems like when we when we equate weekly volume the frequency doesn't matter quite so much so within that like that's perfectly fine again like you could follow something like push lower that is going to be glute ham focused pull so it's going to be upper body push upper body pull and then we could do something like lower that's more quad focused so Within that, I think the one caveat there, so that's perfectly fine if that's the way you like to train. Now that said, the one caveat there is if we're really trying to push to build your glutes per se, and let's say that, because a lot of times how we will do that, once we've determined like, okay, you're hitting the, the prerequisite amount of intensity to actually grow your technique is where it needs to be. If we're still not progressing the way that we want, a lot of times we will just have to have to add more volume, so more hard sets across the week to that tissue. Now. The problem is really like for most people, once we're doing more than about 12 sets for a specific muscle group within a training session, we're really starting to get into junk volume, right? Which is we're not necessarily able to drive the stimulus any higher or the muscle building signal that we're receiving from this any higher by us doing more. So going from like 12 sets to 15 sets to 18 sets, even like within a single training day. It's just more fatigue that we're incurring where we're not necessarily sending out a stronger muscle building stimulus, right? So within that, if it's like, Hey, I really want to build my glutes and okay, we're trying to push you to like 16 to 18 sets of glutes, for example, and there we would probably be better off by us prioritizing. Um, maybe we're going to do eight sets of glutes on one lower body day and eight sets of glutes on the other lower body day. Right. And that's all going to be effective volume versus getting quite so much junk volume. So really there, I think the only time it's an issue is if you're really trying to specialize and push one of those areas to grow. So for example, like if we look at this as, like um that is something that i would that i would use quite a bit though again if it was like a glute specialization program where it is again like those two lower body days are going to have a good amount more glute volume and we'll also have some quad volume worked in there but maybe for upper body because and this is like a more advanced consideration for a more advanced client but maybe for upper body we're just keeping you closer to maintenance volume right maybe we're just keeping you closer to like eight to ten hard sets for all your muscle upper body muscle groups so then we probably could just like we could easily squeeze that into one push day and one whole day. So we're not training there quite as frequently. So really frequency is just a tool that we use to increase like the overall amount of volume we can fit into a week and make it effective. Um, that's my take on it. What do you think there? 
Yeah, I agree with all of that. That's really along the lines of what I was thinking as well. So with lower body, I really like doing it that way. I wish I would have asked her if she had a specific target that she wanted, like, did she want to grow her glutes and hamstrings or was, was it pretty balanced what she wants to grow? I wish I would have asked that. But um, if she wants to have pretty balanced growth, I, I like doing it that way because you're going to have some carryover anyway. So like doing glute focus leg press, yeah, it's going to give you more stimulus on your glutes, but it doesn't completely take away any um, stimulus to your quads. You're still using them. Um, so with lower body, I feel like that is a little bit more unique to, to lower body versus upper body where it's like you're training your chest. That's not working your back whatsoever. Um, so with lower body, I, I like that. And, and also like you were saying about not going beyond 12 sets per muscle group, muscle group. Um, I don't know why that tripped me up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> muscle group. So with, with that specifically, I never do that much volume on my lower body, even split between quads and hamstrings. Do you? Mm, sometimes. I mean, I think if we look at like, if we look at like carryover, the thing that are there though is like, there's so much carryover. Like if we, even if we look at a quad focus like press, I'm still also going to consider that a set of glutes, right? We're still going to get a lot of hip flexion. So, I mean, I think the thing with that is like, still like, as you said, so many of your glute focus movements are still going to be quad bias movements. So many of your, like, if we're just looking at it as, so if we're looking at it as just, okay, what's the primary thing I'm trying to target there and I'm only counting it as volume towards that, then no, I wouldn't. But typically how I'm looking at it is again, like, where is their volume overlap? So again, like, or similarly, like if we're doing a set of split squats, even if we do like want it to be a quad bias split squat, we're still going to get, unless it's like very specific, like maybe a Hewlett split squat, if we have that rear foot elevated, especially, we're still going to get a good lengthened glute pair, right? So there's going to be a lot of both. So again, when we're taking that into account, then, then yes. But if it's just like, what's the primary mover and we're only counting that as one set for that specific muscle group, then I would say, no, I don't. Yeah. That just seems like a lot. Um, so what, so if I were looking at this and I was going to take that basic principle, but make it a little bit better, what I would do, and this is what I do quite a bit for, um, programming up in lower, upper lower days is have a focus for today and have, let's say your gluten hamstring focus, start out with a couple of length and overload movements and then for glutes and hamstrings and then have a length and over overload movement for quads and then mm -hmm. one or two shortened overload movements for glutes and hamstrings. And then you kind of flip it and do the inverse on the quad focus day. So you do a couple of length and overload movements for quads, a length and overload movement for glutes or hamstrings, and then shortened for quads. And so that way you're getting a big stimulus movement for the opposite muscle group on the, the flipped day. So you're able to put quite a bit of like energy into that still. Um, but it's not, you're not trying to cram a bunch of movement, a bunch of volume for both muscle groups within each day. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's very, very similar to how I approach it where uh, that's exactly how I approach it. Exactly. Actually. So for the most part, um, so for example, we could do like, okay, this is our glute dominant day. So maybe we're going to do 
uh, Bandy RDL, maybe we're gonna do a glute focused leg press. Um, and then maybe we are gonna do something like a Jewett split squat, for example. It's gonna be much more quad bias. And then maybe we're gonna do like a 45 degree back extension or leg curl. Whereas the other day, maybe we're gonna start off with, maybe we're gonna do like a hack squat. Maybe we're gonna do like a rear foot elevated split squat. And then we'll have another more glute biased movement, which could maybe be like a more like than glute. Now we could also like that, we could kill two birds with one stone with that rear foot elevated split squat, I would argue. But again, maybe we're gonna do something like a deficit reverse plunge. Maybe we're gonna do um, something again, like a more glute biased leg press. Or again, maybe this is gonna be a, kind of a two for one, like a, a more quad focused leg press, or more balanced leg press. It's gonna get like more mid range quad and get a, get a good length and glute there as well. Um, and then again, like our shortened exercises will be more biased towards quads that day. So again, maybe we're not doing like leg, leg curls, or maybe we're not doing like a short glute movement there, but we are going to do like a leg extension instead. So yeah, I think we're on a pretty similar page as far as that goes. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that is all we have for questions. Actually, was there anything else you wanted to add? No, I don't think so. Dope. All right. Well, as always, we appreciate y'all's questions and we will catch you guys next time.